Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 282 of David Milan. How are you, David? I'm awesome, mate. Lovely day in paradise. Nice to see you. Likewise, likewise. Now, what's the highlight of the last seven days for you? What's something here that's really made you smile? I guess what's really made me smile is seeing the progress of people, how they're evolving emotionally. And I, I get to watch this evolution sometimes even intergenerationally when I work with families, uh, when I work with with couples, and uh, especially with individuals when they they start to come out of that place of distress and into that place of confidence that's really my highlight you know seeing that that change that little dopamine hit those those pupils dilate and when someone has an epiphany and that that to me is really the highlight of my week and uh, yeah we had a couple of those this week how nice is that and and I think probably more so than ever People, I'm sure they're coming to you at the moment, David, and I notice I see this when working with kids and teachers and corporates and everyone like that, that uh, the art of having a conversation, and this is what we're going to sort of talk about today, communicating, it's not that hard, but it's, I don't know, like social anxiety, it's a real thing now, isn't it? Absolutely. Social anxiety is is this, this inner fear of judgment, this inner fear that somehow you're going to make a mistake, this 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 feeling of not necessarily being confident in what you say, you know, how you stand, what you do. And social anxiety is, is quite a common issue amongst a, a lot of people across a lot of different demographics. Yeah, it really is. So when we're talking about that, because it's something that, you know, we've obviously had a pandemic and now we're seeing, mm. I think, a bigger pandemic of that because of what that's caused through, you know, that ability to have a conversation, have a meaningful conversation, mm. you know, start a conversation, even say hello to somebody when you walk past them on the street. Like these are these are things I think that we just took for granted, but now it actually scares people and they'll walk over the other side. How, what are some ways that obviously you're helping people that you're working with or you've just seen um you know, be able to overcome this because we know when you do overcome something that, you know, is stressful or it's hard, you actually feel good about yourself, you know, but ha- actually doing that's a really hard thing. So <laughs> what, how can we change this? Well, the words doing that, if you do your drills, you get your skills. That's actually the most critical part of overcoming this. However, Having said that, as a as a coach, as a relationship communication coach, people have to see you model those skills. It's absolutely critical. You have to see other people doing it and then be able to do it yourself in order to start to do what we call challenge that window of tolerance. So literally inside our nervous system, we have what we might see as a window And in that window is our willpower and our ability to overcome this distress. Now, window changes depending on a whole bunch of factors, but the main factors are our thought quality, our sleep, and our glucose levels. We'll just call it diet for now. So each day, Dr. Roy Baumeister will tell you that when you get up, you've got so much capacity in your window. When we're socially anxious, there's a lot of thoughts running around in our head. There's a lot of distress. And so that window of tolerance can be very small. But ironically, to heal social anxiety, to really get over it, we have to feel it to heal it. We have to push ourselves into what I call leaning into the pain of the fear. We have to push ourselves into that fear, not so it's intolerable, but so that we are challenging ourselves. Although to do that, in my world, you need someone to show you how to do that in real life. So I take my people, my students, my clients, and I take them out into the real world and we talk to random strangers. Yet I will do that first. Although it's no good just going up to a random stranger and say, hey, can I just ask you a quick question? I'm really curious. Can you tell me about such and such? Or can, you know, I'd like to ask you a quick question I'm really curious about this or that. That, that. That's not going to work for them because in their head, they've got a future prediction. 
And that future prediction is I'm going to fail, I'm going to get rejected, I'm going to get this or that. And I do a lot of relationship connection to help people with social anxiety to gain relationships, meaningful relationships. So what we've got to do here is I've got to give them a framework. So not only do you need to be able to lean into the pain and do that thing and do that thing repeatedly, because there's no such thing as confidence. There's only doing that thing over and over and over and over again until you become proficient. Now, when we're socially anxious, we generally avoid that thing. So for me, it's about helping that person manage their nervous system because I'm the behaviorist. I specialize in the unconscious. I don't work in the conscious mind, ironically. I work in the place where 85% of our behavior happens, and it happens unconsciously. It happens in a place where it was early life encoded through our epigenetics, our genetics, when our parents first came together in, in conception, all that data was transferred as to how we're experiencing the world. Then when we're in the womb, we're experiencing more chemical changes. And then when we're finally born between zero and three, we're literally creating our identity based on what's reflected to us by others, not what's in us. So we've got that genetic component, but then we've got that reflection component. And that's what I call an old map. Now, our relationship choices, ironically, and I use that word a lot, so forgive me, right. are encoded between the ages of five to eight. So literally, the relationships you're probably going to have, the intimate relationships you're probably going to have, are literally encoded between the age of five to eight. And so when you're communicating with someone uh, on, on a daily level, a lot of that coding is actually active. And in my world, in this behavioralist world, it's about naming entertainment, understanding how the system works first. So if you drive a car down the road and the little red light comes on, because I got a new for me car recently, you know, 2015, something or other, fairly new, has an eye stop and all that lovely gadgets and things. And there's all these little lights and the, the warranty says, it says if any of these little lights come on, you've got to immediately stop and call the, the, the mechanic will call these people. Now, if I don't understand what all those little lights mean, how am I going to understand which one is the most <laughs> important one, right, and when to stop the car? So you've got to understand your own nervous system. You've got to understand this unconscious part. We think that we do things consciously, but for the most part, we are driven by nature. So from now on, I'm just going to call it nature, specialise in human nature. So what if you've got all this coding from your childhood, your parents, your upbringing, and you've got this early life map that kind of dictates which way in life you're going to go, your default mode setting, how you're going to move, and then you're trying to communicate with people and you've got all these little lights coming on. You've got to know which ones to take notice of and which ones not to. So that's why people come to me. Now, the second thing, of course, is then you've got to have some way of calming your nervous system. So we teach you skills and drills to do that. Then you've got to have a script or a way of actually approaching and talking to someone that's pretty well guaranteed to work. Although if you don't see me do it, how do you know it's guaranteed to work? So you need someone to help model that, that process to you until you become confident to do it yourself. And, of course, we might do it together. So after that and you have some success you'll get what we call a correction code in your brain your brain will go oh we had a success before that it's error code where we, we perceive and this is a perception because because reality is constructed and filtered through how we feel it's very complex but interesting called emotional refraction so literally i'm feeling nervous and stressed out this person's probably going to reject me in some way shape or form or judge me so therefore i'm going to fight flight or freeze so fight um, i'm probably not going to fight them but i'm probably going to i'm going to flight or freeze so i might leave or i might kind of freeze up and then my mind goes blank and i don't know what to say and i think they're judging me because i'm in that millisecond place where i don't know what to say although in reality nothing like that's going on so i've got to prove to people that people don't think about you the way you think they think about you yeah. And they don't judge you the way you actually perceive. So I'll do some pretty bizarre stuff. And people and people go, my God, they, they, they didn't judge you. They didn't get angry at you. They didn't. And I say, yeah, because people don't think the way you think they think. And we have to prove that in real life, in real terms, because we learn by experience, not by words. Words are a very uh, late adaption in behavior. 
literally, if I say the word right now, first thing that comes into your head, Dale, camel. Uh, first thing water. comes to your head. Water, perfect. Now, when I do a workshop, which I train in this stuff, I will get water, camel, the animal, sand, broom. You get the picture. So many different meanings for one word. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Now, imagine, for example, this is how difficult communication actually is. Imagine that we'll say something like this just for a moment. A three-legged camel walking backward up a hill, following a magician, holding a ornate green staff with a flowing orange robe. How's your brain going with that? Yeah, good. It's a pretty interesting story. I'm trying to picture it actually happening. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're starting to try to make sense of it. You're starting to have visual images. You've got auditory stuff going on. You've got kinesthetic and the body feelings going on. So there's a lot of processing going on in this real estate, in this higher function real estate, that higher part of the brain kind of tapping beforehead there. Now, the more processing that has to go on up there, the more exhausted the brain gets, so it defaults. That's the trick. It defaults to what it knows. It defaults maybe to your early life map. So when it's defaulting, it's following a, an original program. Everything in my world is now done in computer terminology. So literally, it's, it's following old programming. When in actual fact, we're trying to install new programming. Now, how do we install new programming if we're following old programming? Pretty hard, right? Yeah. So what we've got to do is we've got to prove to the system your big hard drive in your body and your, your your quantum mind that's able to reach into the future, reach into the past, think about the now. But the part of the system I'm dealing with only works in the past and the now. So it literally believes whatever happened in the past is happening now. So if I got rejected in the past, technically I'm getting rejected now if I feel that way. It's all about the feels. We're not heads on sticks. We are literally a feeling system. The brain communicates to us through feelings. Our nervous system tells us through feelings what's going on in the world. Thoughts just direct us. So when we're doing communication work and I've got this young lad or ladette out there and they want to talk to this perfect stranger across a room, they are going to be experiencing some feelings which is going to be activating that old map, which is going to be telling them they're in danger and automatically in the now, the same thing that happened in the past is technically happening now, although it is not because it's a different environment. They're a different age. There's a whole bunch of different data coming in, although it's being deleted. It's not being noticed by the reticular activating system. It's not being noticed. So literally they're stuck in the past now. And that anxiety is going to continue until we prove that they are in the now and that they can do this thing. So they have a, a basic framework called Three Magic Question Protocol. You can thank Dr. David Schneider for that. Now, that is a way of actually opening the conversation. So they have an opening line, and I'll usually say something like, hey, do you mind if I just ask you a quick question I'm curious about? Yep. And curiosity is powerful. It's a very powerful word. And once we have the time, date, place, person, or event, in other words, the first part of the process, hey, I'm just curious about the drinks menu. I'm just curious about the band. I'm just curious about this or that. Then they've got this opening. Now, after that, they're going to be only doing 20% of the conversation. The other person's going to be doing 80%. So in actual fact, if you're socially anxious, that's awesome. You don't have to talk much. Great. great. And you yeah. don't have to worry about what to say because when you're asking questions uh, in the way that we frame them, because we do the linguistics of it in my work, when we're asking questions in the way that we frame them, the person will give you the information most, most likely and they'll be happy to do it because the most important thing is because we're filtering through our feelings, the happier this other person is on the other end of the conversation the more likely they are to communicate with you. And you can create that feeling. I'm just going to have a sip of my coffee. Ah, coffee. You can create that feeling using some of these techniques. And when that person's feeling incredibly good about you, whatever's standing in front of you literally becomes the source of that feeling. So if they're feeling incredibly bad about you, you become the source of that bad feeling. Yep. If they're feeling incredibly good about you, you become the source of that good feeling because of this emotional refraction. 
So if someone's not feeling incredibly good about me, I'm just going to disengage from the conversation politely. You can tell from the body language and facial expression generally what's going on because we do all the reading of that. And I teach my clients to read those basics. So here we've got this beautiful system that structures everything. So when they get into the conversation, they will have a success. Now, often they'll notice the past. In other words, oh, my God, they looked at me the wrong way or they judged me. But then we're going to ask a question like, I wonder what you didn't notice. What is it that you might not have noticed? Or what did you notice about the way they stood and the way they leaned forward when you asked that question? Oh, you're right. I noticed they leaned forward. What does that say? Isn't it interesting? What does that say about that particular conversation when they leaned into that personal space? What does that suggest? Because I always ask questions. I don't tell people. Yeah. You don't learn by telling. You learn no. by answering questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So literally they'll go, oh, well, in in what you've taught me, it means that, that they're, there's a, they're actually connecting. I say, exactly. So how's that for you in challenging these feelings and thoughts you had before you went into this interaction? Oh, well, actually, that means I'm improving. That's right. Isn't that interesting how we improve as we practice? I wonder what would happen if you practiced 10 more times today. How would that go for you? Oh, that'd go quite well. I'll still be quite nervous. That's okay. Nerves are part of this process. If you weren't nervous, it, you know, it, it would be a little bit of a problem, probably. Yeah. So this social anxiety is managed through working with the window of tolerance just to challenge that window just enough so they lean into the pain, build resilience to that pain. The nervous system increases the tolerance. Although let's say we're working in, a, in an establishment and this is not a bar, definitely not a bar, okay? So we're working in an establishment and my lad or ladette wants to talk to someone over here and they're feeling really nervous. The first thing they usually will do is want to reach for an artificial regulator of emotion, something that makes them feel good instantly. Because Sorry. in the brain, when we, well, yeah, absolutely. Dave. In <laughs> the brain, when we, when we ha have old things that happen to us that aren't, aren't pleasant, our brain gives an actual error code. It literally gives you a spike in your, your or actually takes dopamine out of your cells. It literally sucks out that good stuff and tells you through a feeling that that didn't work. And those error codes are then encoded as a default mode. So until we correct those error codes somewhere in time, they're actually what is activating the whole system, these, these, these error codes. So when a human being corrects something, they'll get a dopamine hit. So if they have a success, they'll get a dopamine hit, which will then rewrite that code. So literally most of our behavioral processes are automatic based on old code that may or may not be correct. And when it was recorded between usually these error codes are recorded early on in life, when they're recorded, they're very, they're, they're very accurate. Although later on in life, as things change, they become less accurate. And because we construct reality, literally, when we are refracting or feeling something that's not pleasant and we are filtering through that feeling and we're deleting all the positives, so if someone's looking at me angrily and my old map might be, that means that I'm in trouble. Now, that's unconscious. That's not happening in my mind. I'm not thinking I'm in trouble. But those words will come out of my mouth, oh, what have I done wrong this time? <laughs> so that will tell you what's going on in my error code, yeah? So literally when I'm looking at that person and I'm feeling that I'm in trouble, I will start to delete all the things that don't fit with that feeling. So literally anything that's not fitting with being in trouble starts to get pushed out. It's not deleted permanently. It's just done in that particular time. Then I'll start to generalize. Oh, you always think I'm in trouble. You never loved me. You never cared about me. So I start to use language that suggests that this happens all the time yeah. because the error code is not specific. It's actually generalized because every time something happens, so you have an event, an original event, every time you re-experience that event, you're actually remembering it, not based on what actually happened, but based on how you feel about it. Isn't that interesting?
So you have a memory of a memory of a memory of a memory ad infinitum. By the time you get to that end memory, the event might be quite distorted. So in actual fact, that person may have a basic memory of when they were five or when they were six and they're at school, they stood up to speak in class and people laughed. Now, they didn't have a prefrontal functioning that could make sense of that. So that, in other words, a logical mind. So that feeling was very strong and encoded very strong as that's a threat. So what have I got to do with threat? I've got to avoid it or kill it. So go back to our establishment. The first thing that person's going to want to do is kill that pain. Now, the same part of the brain that processes physical pain processes emotional pain. Wow. So emotional pain is technically, in a way, the same. So if you've got a high emotional state that's distressed, you're in high pain. First thing you've got to do, early life learning, says you put something in the body to kill pain. Because when mum first puts us on the breast, it kills our distress. So, or we put a bottle in our mouth, kills the distress. So literally, we want to go to the bar. We want to get that anesthetic, that artificial regulator that's going to kill the gut brain that's telling us that we're in a very dangerous situation. But as soon as we have that anesthetic, we have that drink, we get this artificial feeling of being okay because it actually artificially corrects the correct, it corrects the code. It gives you a correction code. But it's not real. It's a false correction code. So then you go, oh, I've now got confidence. And then you link that to alcohol. Isn't that also interesting? So now you've got an association with drinking makes me feel better. Wow. But what if I'm not drinking? How's that going to work for me? Yeah. So what I will do, of course, is we won't let people use the artificial regulators to create artificial correction code. They have to create correction code naturally, which is naturally have some success, naturally get a dopamine hit, which tells them I'm doing well. And because memory's in layers, they layer that new memory on top of the old memories. Now, the brain loves to do what it last learnt. So it likes to work in the now and it likes to do what's most efficient. So if I had a win here and I've got all this other stuff that's not a win over here, it'll always try and access that first until it gets overwhelmed and then it'll go back to its default. So what have we got to do? We've got to keep repeating the wins. The more we repeat the wins, the more we myelinate or reinforce the neural pathways. So they basically get thicker and bigger. And then the brain is more likely to select the, the correction or the win. And eventually what happens is it doesn't need to select the error. The error will not disappear altogether, although I call it file 13ing. It'll kind of chuck it into the bin because it's no longer relevant. Now, everything I do and I teach, I do myself. I do not teach anything I have not done. That is one of my rules. So if I'm teaching it and I'm talking about it, I've done it. Yep. So in actual fact, in reality, to correct my own error coding, I had to do exactly what I'm talking about. I had to go and lean into the fear find a way of, of formulating words, learn a whole bunch of skills and drills, become a clinical hypnotist, as well as I'm a social worker, a mental health social worker, and I'm a behavioral coach. I had to do a whole bunch of things to get to a point where I could say fairly confidently that when I go and do that thing, it's not a Jedi mind trick. When I go and do that thing, it's literally practice and training. There is nothing else in it. If I can do that, Whatever that thing is, it's because I've practiced it, I've trained myself in it. It doesn't mean I'm not nervous. doesn't mean when I go to talk to that person and bring them over to this table within five minutes, doesn't mean that I'm not nervous. Of course I'm nervous. Although I have confidence in the drills, I have confidence in the skills, and I have confidence in, in the linguistics because I've practiced it. So social anxiety is actually deleted by naming it to tame it, recognizing how the system works, feeling it to heal it, feeling the feeling and leaning into the pain, and then rewiring to recover. Continually rewiring the new wiring over the old wiring until we become this thing called confident. Because if I ask my clients, how long do you think it'll take you to be confident? And they go, oh, when I feel good about doing that thing, and I say, how long will it take you to feel good about doing that thing? Oh, I'm not going to. So when are you ever going to be confident? <laughs> if you have to wait to be confident, you'll never be confident. So the bottom line is you've got to do that thing and you've got to be proficient in that thing. 
And then that builds the thing called confidence. And then you have to challenge that thing. So once we get to a certain level, I've got students at all different levels of this process of communicating and, and connecting and doing all sorts of things with social anxiety, because that's where I work in the social anxiety field. So in this context, so there are students, I have students that couldn't look you in the eye. They would literally look down at the floor. And if they looked up at someone looking at them, they would freak out and say, oh, my God, I'm being charged, blah, blah, blah. Now that student, I can say, okay, there's a table of seven people over there. Go up and do the octopus seahorse routine because we have routines to challenge you. Go and do that routine. And I'll go, okay. And off they go. And then they'll they'll assess it. They'll come back. They'll tell me what happened with each person, what where they believed each person was emotionally and cognitively in the process. And then they'll say what they could improve or what is working for them. And sometimes I'm thinking, wow, I don't know if I could do that myself. You know, great for master to sit back here teaching, you know, to be sitting <laughs> back, just chilling out, relaxing. And then I've been challenged. I often ask my students, okay, challenge me. Give me a challenge. And I'll say, I'll go up to that person, the grumpiest, angriest looking person you've ever seen. I'll go up to them and tell them a story and convince them that avocados are intelligent. Okay, good challenge. Let's have a shot. So I'll go up and I'll do that, and nine times out of ten we might get there. Although if I, if I don't, it's not a fail. There's yeah. no such thing as fail. Fail is giving up on that thing. So if I give up on that thing, technically I fail. So I have a bar, a mental health bar, and my bar is functionality because in this nature, in this nervous system, that all behaviour has meaning, right? So if, there's no dysfunction in the nervous system. Everything is functional to meet a need. All human beings are trying to meet their resource needs. Their physical, their mental, their emotional, their financial, their sexual and spiritual needs. So what they're trying to do is naturally, through lots of programming and lots of evolution, evolve. So we're evolving physically, mentally and emotionally. And I work in the mental and emotional evolution, yeah? So if I'm evolving emotionally, it means I'm able to be resilient to that unpleasant feeling. That's an evolution. So what I've got to do is I've got to challenge myself to, to meet that evolution. Now, if I challenge myself using my conscious mind, which I'm now going to use for one moment, then I'm going to have maybe a lot of what ifs. Oh, my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if the other thing happens? Because this mind, this practical, logical mind is very future orientated. So it likes to predict things. It's a wonderful predicting machine. So based on past experience, which is constructed, ironically, through how we feel, mostly, it will predict an outcome. As soon as it predicts an outcome, it will activate the nervous system as if that outcome's happening now. How weird's that? So I can be lying in bed at night, wake up with a start at 2 a.m. because I had a cortisol spike and think, oh, my God, I'm going to have a bad day at work tomorrow. As soon as I have that thought, my nervous system goes, oh, my God, you're at work, and it's tomorrow, and it gives me anxiety. <laughs> Now, that's not a reality because I'm in bed, although the system is acting on this future predicting. So our conscious mind I call the intention maker. It makes intention. So whenever we're going to communicate, I will say to a person when we start a process, what is your intention of this communication? Because if you don't know your intention, how are you going to communicate? What's your intention? And nine times out of ten, I mean this, people go, I don't know what my intention is, just to talk. And I go, well, how's that going to work for you? <laughs> so what is your intention? What do you want to get out of this communication, basically? What is you, What do you want to get out of it? Do you want that person to like you? Do you want that person to talk to you? Do you want that person to tell you their life story? Do you want to, to get that person to help you at Bunnings? I mean, what do you want to do? You must have an intention in communication. Then after we've got this intention, then we've got to have a, a way of approaching that is as safe as possible. Because most people are, well, no, not most, this is an all people thing. All people, and I will say all here, very generalised, the first priority for the human being in nature is safety. Safety first. Then protection, then procreation. So that's the basic operating system of every person. As I said, I work in humans, yeah? So we've got this thing. So I know that when I walk up to them, a perfect stranger, even if they're meant to, communicate with me like in a shopping centre, you know, on an aisle or, or, or at a checkout, there's still that programming running. So what have I got to do? I've got to make them feel incredibly comfortable with me. 
How do I do that? I've got to stand a certain way. I've got to, in a way, look a certain way. If I have a face that looks like a cat's proverbial, when I'm talking to you, their activation of their old primary code is definitely going to go off in the, I don't like this very much, although I've got to talk to you. So if I stand in a certain way, and there's certain ways to stand that are safer than others, if I front on you, if I'm front on with you, literally symmetrical, that can be a threat to some people. If I am standing slightly off to the side, asymmetrical in my body, that's actually less threatening. So I might use an asymmetrical stance. Now, the tone of voice is critical because we read tonality. So we literally, words are the last thing we make sense of, honestly. They're the last thing. So the first thing we're doing is we're looking at the body's positioning because we have this system, this proprioceptive system that tells us everywhere the body was in time and space for our whole life and what that meant. So literally, if when I was little on my old map, someone stood over me and they were aggressive and they stood in a certain stance, then that will actually be activating even when I'm trying to communicate and regulate through my conscious mind, yeah? So I have my stance, then tonality is important because literally the tonality, if it raises or lowers, that can also be a threat. So what I want to do is I want to use a modulated tonality or when I'm working in the field, I'll use a playful tonality. So I'll be very playful. Now, did you know that the more you move your hands, the more honest you are? It's called honest signals. You can look it up. I didn't I didn't know that, no. Yeah, it's interesting. So you know those people who are often gesturing? Yeah. That is actually seen as more honest and more safe than the person who's standing more still. Wow, there you go. So we have these systems, and that name it to tame it. These are these little lights, yeah. So we have these systems. So if I'm gesturing, if I move, often I'll move in and out. And when I move in, I'll see if they move back because that tells me if I'm connected. Now, we've got different codes. Now, I read code and I train in code. So code is the way the nervous system reads stuff. I'm going to tell you the nervous system is encoded from the top of the head to the soles of the feet. It's the whole body. The conscious mind, which can take a holiday in Jamaica and sip pina coladas on the beach, mostly for all I care, is where I don't usually work. I work in the rest of the system. But I use the conscious mind. I'm using but. I'm not negating everything in that but. So I'll use although. I'll change my language. Although the conscious mind is critical when we want to, to, to reinforce or create intention, yeah, and we want to recognize something's happening. We need that conscious mind. But for the most part, we're automatic. So it's understanding these automatic systems. So we've got these, these, these codes. So there's actually a safety code. There's a human safety code, and it has seven steps. There's a human attraction code, which has 26 steps. So there's different codes that we run at different times, and we are running them all the time. This isn't something you turn off and on. This is human. So we are running different types of codes at different times, depending on different scenarios. And if we read the codes, we have a much better chance of understanding where that person may be, it's only an assessment, may be at when we're connecting. So for example, if they're feeling good about us, they might start running a traction code. If we're at home with our partner and they've had a bad day and they're not feeling very good, they might be running a safety code. So if I go and I touch my partner, when her safety code's running, she might not respond to me because her safety code's running. She needs different things or he needs different things to happen before the nervous system deems it safe. When I used to work with couples, I used to get them to walk towards each other and stop when they felt a barrier. That's the nervous system's way of saying whether you're safe. So it's an invisible barrier. There's an emotional wall that some people have up. Now, that emotional wall, we can read it. We can connect with it. We can, we can feel it. And so if we push ourselves through the nervous system safety code, we're actually going against the code, which means that the nervous system will record that as a threat. And... That's why when people try to, uh, you know, their heads on sticks, they go, oh, well, you know, I've got to do this, although I don't know my code, then often what will happen is they'll find it harder to do that thing, that thing later. So if I know that my partner 
comes along and I'm standing there cutting up some vegetables and she comes and she just touches me very lightly, that is level three of her safety code. So I know that now she's given me some kinesthetic touch. She's just tested the waters to see if I'm safe. And now I know I can maybe go to level three reciprocating code. So I might go and I might just touch her on the arm and say, hey, babe, I love you. So I'll reinforce it with verbals. So verbals are really how we make meaning, but also in, in a way reinforcement. So these codes are quite critical. So as a human being, we've got so much data going on at once and some people get traffic jammed in their head and when they get traffic jammed in their head they start to go oh my golly where do I go from here and of course that's more anxiety so that's a very brief description of what I actually do and how I work Dale do you have any thoughts or questions my friend oh David I'm uh I'm sitting back here just trying to process everything you said because <laughs> I'm sure people can uh I've really enjoyed that people can resonate with some aspect of what you said and and really how I look at it is you need to change the narrative that you're telling yourself about the situation. And to do that, you need to have a game plan, I feel. And essentially that's what you're saying, but you can't have the game plan for every situation. For each situation, it's got to be different. And I guess, yeah. you know, starting with a, a set game plan that is quite generic, is probably a safe way to go. And it gives people that confidence. And then yeah. as you work on that, you can start building that. I love what you said about using a playful, you know, playful tone and playful nature. I use play to help people feel safe and connect um, and basically changing the narrative. So it's not just how are you? Good. How was your weekend? Good. You know, these surface level answers that you don't actually get a meaningful connection. So realistically, what you're saying is you need to have a question that allows a connection to take place. You yes. know, and that's what it really comes down to. So think about it like this. I do a lot of work with kids, and, and over the years, uh, mostly because I'm the behaviourist, I, I usually work with you know very difficult scenarios, and this is the, the mental health side of the practice. So taking it out of that connection code stuff and into the mental health side, which is about one-third of our practice still, we, we're referred by word of mouth, basically. If it fails, go to Dave. You don't know, go to Dave Milan if it's failed. So we, and failed means, you know, they've actually probably given up, but they're going to have one more chance, yeah? So when, let's say you've got a couple of parents and their, their child's a little off the planet. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. As I said, there's a lot of programming in there and there's a lot of modelling. We learn by modelling, modeling, not necessarily by words. Words are very good to reinforce things, but modelling is the key. We have to see it to, you know, because of our mirror neurons, we have to literally see it done. We have to assess whether it's safe or unsafe because the nervous system works very much like this. Safety for our nervous system is predictable and comfortable. Think of it like that. Unsafe is unpredictable and uncomfortable. Although if something is unpredictable, it's much more unsafe. So what we actually do is we can be very uncomfortable, but we'll do what's predictable. So I often get asked, David, why do you, I go out with the same person with a different face? <laughs> and I'm going to say, well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's old map, but it's predictable. So in the nervous system, it's, it's following patterns and habits of thought and feeling and behaviour that are predictable with outcomes that are predictable but also there's there's a setup in our nervous system for this emotional evolution. So what we didn't learn early on, we're likely to attract people to us that will actually trigger us. The weird thing is we attract people that trigger us so that we can get that correction code over that error code. So and that's a very complicated area. So going back to our parents again, so they're sitting on my couch and they've got little, let's say, little Johnny. We'll call him little Johnny. He's about nine. He's ADHD. He's off the planet. You know, he's got a few other parent issues going on. I work in the human realm. So to me, he's a human being running a lot of code, and I'm deciphering that code. I'm making sense of what's going on because all behavior is functional to meet a need. So when he has ADHD, he's got a lot more energy. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to get rid of that excess energy through movement. So I know telling him to sit still, which is not what we want to do with ADHD, <laughs> is actually suppressing that movement, suppressing that energetic expulsion. For example, you know, suppression is depression. And when we have a lot of energy and he's got a lot of traffic jamming in his senses 
and he's on high alert and he's expelling a lot of that energy through kinesthetic movement, then that for me is not a bad thing. I'm, I'm okay with him bouncing around the room because it's, it's not, I don't need him to sit still to talk to me. He, he can still listen. He can still hear. He's still got that ability. So the parents will be sitting on the couch and little Johnny will grab the whiteboard marker or usually the permanent marker because I say to my parents, please just let me show you, model this stuff. Uh, so he grabs the marker and he's about to draw my wall. Now, the parents are going to want to say, stop, don't do. But in the unconscious mind, do means don't in that way. So if I say don't do, we resist. Now, there's three types of things we resist, and Erickson will tell you this. The first thing we resist is autonomy. So we resist anyone trying to basically stop us being autonomous, stop us doing what we want. That's the first resistance. The second resistance we will have is to identity. If someone starts to challenge or attack our identity, we'll resist them. And the third resistance that we have is literally uh, to our to our to our safety, to our values, to the way that we value things in the world. So if I've got values and people challenge my values, I'll start to resist them. So I've got these different resistances. Now, when little, little Johnny's about to draw on the wall, there could be a resistance to autonomy because the parents will say, stop, don't do. So I'll do the Kath and Kim. I'll go, look at me, look at me. <laughs> don't say anything. They're white knuckle because in their minds, they're future predicting. I think they're bad parents and they'll often verbalize that. They think that, you know, oh my God, we're going to have to pay for Dave's wall. And I'll say to them, <laughs> look at my wall. Are there any marks on my wall? No. Been in this office 15 years. No marks, no cleaning. Yeah. So in reality, we've got a nice clean wall. So first thing I do with little, little Johnny is I say playfully, hey, buddy. And he stops. Hey, buddy, I wonder what's going to happen if you draw on my wall. I'm super curious. He's about nine. He'll look at me, and he's not been asked that question before. <laughs> he's been told, don't do this, or this result will happen. Now, of course, if we are future predicting, which he, he knows what's going to happen if he draws on the wall at home, so he knows it's going to be painful. Although the hardest thing for the nervous system is I want to, but I can't. So imagine little Johnny in his deepest self wants to please his parents. Behaviour is functional to meet a need. Behaviour is a communication of the nervous system telling us what emotional state we're in at the time. That's what it is. That's what a behaviour is. So literally, his emotional state is heightened. He's traffic jamming. He's all over the place. And he's basically now expressing something spontaneously uh, in this new environment, which is probably stressing him out a little bit. And I know that. So... What we are designed to do is answer questions. Interestingly, human beings are taught to answer questions. You go to school, the teacher asks you a question, you put up your hand, you answer it. You're in a workshop and I point at you because you're sitting at the back because if you sit at the back, I'm going to ask you questions. And literally, you'll answer the question. Even if you say, I don't know, you're still answering the question because 70% and power and control dynamics is a big part of what I do, 70% of authority, authority is like 70% of power and control. Literally 70% is authority. So immediately there is called frame control. Immediately there's, there's a frame. And in that frame, we understand or we make up in our mind who is in charge, who is empowered, who is not. If you put people in a room together in seven minutes, I'll pick a leader. So literally, I am the authority in this room, although I'm a parent and parents are painful. So I've got to separate myself from being that person. So I'm going to be playful with this kid. I'm going to use my playful voice. Hey, buddy, how you going? And so, hey, buddy, what's going to happen if you draw on my wall? And he'll stop and he'll look at me and he turns around. So now he's, he's moving away from the wall because now his senses are, are, are directed at me and he's looking at me and I'm playful and I'm on his level and he'll go, oh, I'm going to get smacked or yelled at. Because he knows what will normally happen. And I go, nah, that's not going to happen in here. Although, have a look in that cupboard over there. Do you want to look in that cupboard over there? Because there's a cupboard. It's a secret cupboard. Now, part of this communicating is there's five things that, that generally we need. We need safety. We need mystery. We need playfulness. We need commonality of values. 
And sometimes we need a little bit of drama to process our feelings so that we can have a nice robust debate and get stuff out. Yeah, that's a sometimes thing. But in this case, I'm now working on mystery. Everyone loves a mystery. So he's going, his, direct, his attention is now directed to this mysterious cupboard, right? And I go, do you want to look in that cupboard? Because at home he's not allowed to go through cupboard. So he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And I say, you sure you want to look in the cupboard? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, that's cool. So he goes to the cupboard. He's now left the wall, of course, still got pen in here. He looks in the cupboard. And what do you think he finds, Dale? I've got no idea because the mystery's got me here, David. I'm on the edge of my seat, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Cleaning products. Not something. Nicely positioned at child height. So he knows what a cleaning product is. He goes, ah, oh, there's there's stuff to clean. And I said, that's right. I wonder what you're going to be doing for the next hour if you draw on my wall. <laughs> he knows what that means. And I'm he goes, sure it oh, does. Oh, uh, cleaning. I go, that's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So what would you rather do instead, bro? And I talk like this. I literally do. I'm very colloquial. What would you rather do instead, bro? And he goes, oh, I want to go to McDonald's because my parents have promised me I can go to McDonald's after this because they usually promise some reward, again, to kill the pain of therapy, yeah. And I go, well, that's cool. You can choose to go to McDonald's or you can choose to draw me walls. Your choice, mate. And he's quite regulated by now. He's no ADHD. He's not showing at all. And he puts the pen down every bloody time. I'm sure he does. <laughs> so uh, so this is this, this is one of the secrets to communicating. It's being able to formulate the question in a way that the other person feels that they want to answer it, mm. that they want to connect with you. And there's various methods and means to do this. And when we ask the question, we're activating their thinking. We're activating their prefrontal functioning. So they're literally jumping out of the nervous system for a moment and going into their higher functions, which is really what we want. We want them to be externally focused, not internally focused. When a human being is externally focused, then they can pay attention. When they're internally focused, and just think of these mobile phones and how internally focused people are. People yeah. want to know about hypnosis, right? They say, David, what's hypnosis? And I say, pick up your phone and go to Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok. That's bloody hypnosis. <laughs> Focused attention. You're focusing your attention on this object. Technically, it is hypnotizing you. So in reality, I need the focused attention on me. I need to direct him in a way that directs the conscious mind to where I want it to go. And the unconscious is basically just following the programming. It's just going, you know what? I'm just going to go with a conscious mind now because that's a good thing because it feels good. And that's what we're doing. That's, that's, that's really in communicating what we want. We want to create that environment in another human being. What's your thoughts, Dale? Sitting back, I would say, David, the one thing that I've taken away is the power of being curious. And it doesn't matter where wherever you are, if you are coming into a situation non-judgmental but curious, that allows you to have a deeper conversation. Um, if you want somebody to stop doing something, you never tell them. You mm. need to get them to figure out that they want to do it themselves. And, again, it comes back to really good questions life is about absolutely you get the right question you'll get the right result and if you're not getting the right question don't give up because that's not on anybody else it's it's always up to you you're the one asking that question um and i just think if people could be more curious about so many different things in the world there'd be less judgment there'd be less issues because you've got that open mind instead of a closed mind so i think that's what i've taken away and the one thing i love about this day is that's probably the easiest podcast episode I've ever done for one, because you just gave the amazing responses, but not only that, it hit so many age groups, you know, we've got kids out there, we've got parents, we've got teachers, we've got corporates, we've got coaches, anybody, the way that you communicate comes down to the way you ask questions. And that's essentially what you're doing. And um, it's not something that comes easy. And the way you've said it today, uh, you know, people might think, oh, yeah, I could go and do that. But again, anything in the world takes practice, you know, and unless you have that practice with what you're doing, you're not going to be able to nail it. So where can people find you, David? Because I've I've really enjoyed that, like just sitting back and um, it, it just light bulbs are going off for me, I suppose, um, for different situations that I may be in and ways I could handle it better. But 
where can people find more and reach out to you? Because I, I'm sure you've ignited something with them today. Well, thank you, Dale. That's it. It it is really about how you formulate the question, how you ask the question, and and, and human beings, interestingly enough, they want you to talk to them for the most part. That is another thing that's really fascinating. Once, I mean, people rejection would be seen as possibly where maybe a person gives you all the signs that maybe they don't want to connect. Although for the most part, there there might be a little bit of trepidation. Yeah. So if I go up to a perfect stranger and I, I ask my curious question, and curiosity, is, use the word curious. If you take anything out of today, when you're asking something, use the word, I'm just curious about. Yeah. This is my favourite line that I created for connecting, is I will say something, hey, I'm really curious. Can I just ask you a quick question about curiosity, quick and question? All those three words there presuppose, presupposition, presuppose a person to an outcome, and we're always future predicting. So if I just ask them a quick question about, I don't know, about the meal choices. Wow, these look like really interesting meal choices. I'm just wondering, I'm really you know, super curious as to how, uh, how come you chose the calamari over the steak. And they'll start telling you their life story, literally. It's really <laughs> fascinating. You'll know a lot about calamari, trust me, after that, yeah. <laughs> so so where can people find me? MyMilan.com.au. So M-Y and Milan is in the town, M-I-L-A-N.com.au. Go to the website, click on the website, and just go to the connection to, to talk to us, to phone us. We are in Australia so we're on 0488 186 603. You'll get lovely Deb, who is, she does all the uh, everything else. I'm the front person, like in a rock band, and she's everything else. So she will she will make sure that we can have a yarn or a chat. And uh, we do work over Zoom. We do work interstate. I train in all of these areas, in, in all the stuff that we talked about and more. So mymilan.com.au is the best place to reach us. Sometimes the website isn't representative of everything we do. So the best thing is just to have a yarn with me and I will endeavour 100% to answer your questions and point you in the right direction. I love that, David. So if you are listening, go to episode number 282. Um, I'll have links to David's website so you can reach out on that. And I think that's a really good, nice point to finish on that don't judge a business or an impact by their website. Um, I think a lot of people uh, do that these days. Um, jump on a call. There's no better way to figure something out than by having a connection, either by voice or face-to-face. -face. It's uh, And that's the power of Obviously, COVID's been a positive for one thing. Everyone knows what Zoom is these days, David. So um, <laughs> thanks again for your time, mate, and uh, thanks, so Dale. much knowledge that you shared today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and it's been lovely to be here. And everyone, have an awesome and productive day and keep leveling up.